listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Well, as you'll notice, if you turn to your bulletin insert, you'll see that we are kicking off a brand new sermon series today called Broken Heroes. And what's more, you're going to be able to follow along date by date and kind of see what's coming up every single week. And in this series, we're going to zoom in every week on one biblical character in particular, and we're going to do a deep dive on them. Now, a lot of times when we turn to Scripture and we think of biblical characters, certain people in the Bible, we associate them with one thing in particular. So we think of Moses, and maybe what, what comes to mind, like the, the Red Sea parting or something along those lines. Moses is this brave leader who leads Israel out of slavery. Or you think of Jonah. What comes to mind when you think of Jonah? The, the fish, right, getting swallowed by the whale and being spit up again on dry ground. Or when you think of Solomon, for example, you might think of wisdom. And this is all true, but all of these are just, actually, they're just snippets. They're, they're just little pieces of the picture of who these people are. Uh, you see, here's what, what happens oftentimes with biblical characters, with, with these people from the Bible, uh, is they often get painted in this one-dimensional heroic light that kind of downplays their humanity and makes them seem superhuman, really, for lack of a better term. The truth, though, is that these men and women were not superheroes. They were flesh and blood, just like us. They struggled with sin. They rebelled against God. So in this series, we are going to examine some of the heroes of the faith and discover that they, just like us, were sinners saved by grace alone. God uses messy, broken people in spite of our failures to fulfill His plans, and He wants to use you too. Messy people, perfect God, welcome to broken heroes. I want to read you a quote from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which if you don't have this tool, I use this as a pastor. If you're a five-year-old kid, you use it. If you're a, a, a 70, 80-year-old, I don't know why I'm looking over here, sorry. Uh, if you're on the other end of the spectrum, I'll say that, you will appreciate this book. I use it for sermon prep sometimes, too. Uh, but Sally Lloyd-Jones, the author, she says this, and it's, it's really profound. She says, people think the Bible is a book of stories showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of heroes. The Bible is, most of all, a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. 
It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life, end quote. In other words, it's all about Jesus and his journey, his mission to redeem and restore a lost and broken creation. In spite of our unfaithfulness, he pursues us to death, even as the Apostle Paul says, what? Death on a cross. But the story of Jesus didn't end at the cross, did it? And that's why we're here. It ended at the tomb, a tomb that was empty because he is risen. So to understand how God uses broken people, we first have to lay a foundation. And we have to understand the story of the only true hero of the Bible, the only hero who was unbroken. And that leads us to our text today. This is the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there now with me. Otherwise, the text will be up here on the screen. And, and let's rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. Pray that you would be at work on each of our hearts this morning, that we would have flexible hearts and ears that are willing to hear and respond to what you have for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So there's this concept in literature called the hero's journey. Has anybody ever heard of this before? The hero's journey? Uh, it was first popularized by, the guy, by a guy by the name of Joseph Campbell in a 1949 book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he talks about this hero's journey as a kind of archetypal plot line that every hero story falls. So to, follows. So to one degree or another, all of the great myths that we read about and watch on the big screen have a number of elements in common, right? Kind of these different stages that the main character has to progress through as he makes his hero's journey. And you can divide them up into to really three different parts. So first off, you have the departure, 
which is where the character leads home, leaves home, right? You've got maybe a character who is a little scared to venture out. Think of Frodo leaving the Shire or Bruce Wayne venturing out of Wayne Manor. That's the departure part. And then there's initiation. Initiation happens when there's conflict with an enemy. This is when a, an enemy arises, right? Every Batman needs a Joker. And at this point, the, the hero usually does some sort of battle with them at great sacrifice to themselves. So if you're a, a Sandlot fan, you can think of Benny the Jet Rodriguez jumping over the outfield wall to face his fears and goes up against the beast, right? This is the, the hero's journey, the initiation phase. And then after the conflict is resolved, the character returns home, possibly wounded but forever changed, having defeated the enemy. So you think of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. At the very end, when Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and Susan, they, they, they win, essentially, and they're crowned kings and queens of Narnia, and they're, they're riding around on, on horses, and they eventually head back, and they discover this lamppost, and they, they re-enter their home through the wardrobe. So that's return home. And if we see Scripture as a single unified story, which it is, with one central hero, then every page is about Jesus in his costly sacrifice to rescue his beloved people lost and in bondage under the power of sin. But the enemy Jesus faced was far more deadly than anything Disney or Pixar could ever dream up. Even Thanos pales in comparison to this enemy. And all we have to do is look to the cross to see this. The cross is a really strange symbol for a religion. We don't pause to think about that enough. The cross is a symbol of death, and not a normal kind of death, like dying on your bed of old age, but like the most unspeakably awful kind of death, filled with torture and shame and reserved only for the worst criminals. The Apostle Paul makes a statement in Galatians 6, which we've heard a million times, so it goes over our heads, but he says, I boast in the cross. To put that in perspective, that would be like saying, I boast in the guillotine. I boast in the electric chair. Everything about the cross is antithetical to the hero's journey, and yet that's exactly where Jesus' journey took him. And his death at the cross, by the way, wasn't just some temporary little sidestep on the way to the empty tomb. And we kind of think of it that way sometimes, like, okay, we have to go through Good Friday just to get to Easter. Like, Good Friday is kind of the hurdle. We get over that. We land at Easter. Yeah, this is where we celebrate, and this is where it all climaxes. And there's a certain truth to that. But we have to remember that the cross was, was central to Jesus' identity, and it remains so. When Jesus says in John 12, 23, that the hour has come for the Son of Man, Son of Man, by the way, just the way that Jesus spoke about himself. He kind of talked in the third person oftentimes, and this title that he used referring to an Old Testament passage. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. When he talks about that hour, what hour is he referring to? Well, he is referring specifically to his hour of death. He's talking about the crucifixion. That's the time that's getting close. See, it's precisely through his death, not like in spite of it, that he's going to be glorified. 
glory comes through crucifixion, through death, as strange as that sounds to us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, Paul refers to death as the final enemy. Now, sometimes people will talk about death as if it's just another part of the circle of life. And you hear a lot of talk of this at funerals sometimes, like, wow, you know, this, this happened, and yeah, it's, it's just kind of how life works, and this is, we get used to it, right? The truth is that that is a lie. In fact, there's nothing more unnatural than death. It's the ultimate enemy. It was never a part of God's original creation. When you turn back to Genesis 1 and 2, and you you read the original creation account with, with Adam and Eve and, and God in the garden. When God planted that garden, there was no tree of death, was there? There was a tree of life to which Adam and Eve had free access. But then what happened, right? The, the serpent tempted them. They gave in. They ate the fruit. They broke the world, and life has never been the same since. You know, everything wrong in our world today can be traced back to that one fateful day in Eden so long ago. With Adam and Eve's rebellion, and our rebellion as well, by the way, when we speak of Adam and Eve, they were prototypes in a sense that had we been there, we would have done the same thing. We share in their guilt. They are representative of us. So with Adam and Eve and our rebellion, sin entered the world, and with sin came death. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, 12, sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. And by the way, this, this little word, sin, we need to understand what this means because it gets thrown, a lot, thrown around a lot in Christian circles. Sin does not just mean some kind of a, a transgression. It doesn't just mean making a bad decision. Sin is actually a condition that affects, that infects, I should say, our hearts and causes us to act in ways that hurt ourselves and that hurt others. It's why even our best intentions are often thwarted. It's why our motives are mixed, right? Like even when we do the right thing, there's, there's still some part of us that's doing it selfishly. I do the dishes, and I, I, part of the reason I do that is I want my wife's applause. And I'm like, wow, well done. I married the right man. <laughs> right, so this is part of what's happening here. It's why even on our best days, we're nowhere near perfection, not even in the same ballpark. Sin is why we cry and hurt and grieve. It's the reason that this world, including us, is not as it should be. All we have to do is turn on the news or look in the mirror to see proof of this. The world is broken. We are broken. And despite our best efforts, we can't fix ourselves. Sin is the cause, and the wages of sin is death. Physical death, yes, but even more than that, spiritual death, which is another way of saying eternal separation from a loving God forever. And there's nothing scarier than death. It's the fear of all fears, yet it's inevitable. In a world just brimful of uncertainty, right? Death is kind of 
one of the few sure things we can count on. As much as we'd like to, un- to avoid the uncomfortable reality, the truth is that none of us gets to live forever. One day, sooner or later, we'll all end up in a graveyard or an urn. The cross was proof of this. And the disciples thought Good Friday was the end, right? Game over. All of their hopes crushed, all of their greatest aspirations smashed. They just, they trusted the wrong Messiah. It's over. That's what yesterday, Saturday, would have been all about. After all, what could possibly reverse death? But they were about to get the surprise of their lives, and Easter Fool's Day they wouldn't soon forget because the hero's journey was about to enter the return stage. You probably know much of the Easter story by heart and the characters involved in it. The one we just read from the Gospel of Matthew The women, two Marys, by the way, we have Mary, the mother of of Jesus, and then this this other Mary who was likely the mother of um, James, the younger, one of Jesus' other disciples. By the way, anybody get a little confused when you're trying to figure out which Mary is which Mary? There's a whole lot of people named Mary in this, I'm just saying, in this story. Um, I spent way too much time researching that. They visit the tomb on Sunday morning, right? Jesus had been dead since Friday, so what are they expecting to find? Like a stinking corpse. But instead, there's an earthquake and an empty tomb and an angel with the appearance of lightning with his clothing white as wool, all all glorious and victorious. I love this image. And what is the angel doing, by the way? What's he doing? Where is he sitting? He's on top. He is on top of that stone, not below it or beside it, but on top of it. I think that's a sermon right there. That's significant. This angel is there in all of his heavenly glory, this powerful visual image proclaiming that death has been defeated in contrast to the guards who, what does it say, they became like dead men The angel here is all life and spit and vinegar. In the midst of a scene that was cold and dark and hopeless, resurrection arrived bringing hope and joy, enacting the truth that life, not death, gets the final word. What has the power to reverse death? Resurrection. That's it. That's the only thing. When we witness some of these terrible things happening in our our world today, things like wars and and school shootings, we tend to want justice for the people wronged, and rightly so. But the thing about justice is that justice alone won't do it, because no matter how severe the penalty No amount of justice is going to bring the victims back to life. No amount of justice can actually undo death. Only Jesus has got that kind of power. 
the power to take a body dead on arrival with no pulse, no pulse for three days straight, and cause that heart to beat again. Only one hero ever remained unbroken by death. And the wonderful promise is that for those in Christ, Jesus will one day do the same thing for us. Just as he rose bodily from the grave, we will too. We will experience a resurrection. Jesus will come knocking on our coffin lids. The dead will rise, brought back and restored to life with no sickness or disease, no arthritis or dementia or cancer or artificial hips, or broken bones, or sickness. But we will, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, soar on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not be faint. At the tomb on Easter morning, Jesus defeated death once and for all. He went toe-to-toe with it, and he kicked it in the teeth. It has no lasting grip on us anymore. Death may still be the enemy, but it's a defeated enemy. Like a snake whose head has been cut off and still continues to writhe on the ground, but is powerless to hurt us. This is why Paul goes so far as to taunt death in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Easter is not just another myth or fairy tale. It's true. Every word of it. The amount of historical detail in the text and the fact that women of all people who were not considered reliable witnesses, legally they couldn't even testify in a court of law. The fact that they were the first witnesses to the resurrection in and of itself points to the fact that this is a true account, right? Because if you were trying to make something up, In that day and age, you wouldn't have women be the first witnesses to it. That would just cancel it right off the bat. The Christian faith hinges on the truthfulness of this story. And the good news of Easter today, friends, is that it is for you. All of you. Easter dispels the darkness and fear and death that plague your hearts and bodies. The guilt that eats you up, the mistakes you can't forget, the failures that you think define you, the loved ones you can't bring back. Jesus takes all of that, dies for it, and rises again over all the forces of evil and darkness to forgive you and to make you his own, to give you life that never ends to make all wrong things right. Jesus defeated death, the ultimate enemy, once and for all. Why? 
John 3.16, say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. If you walk out of here this morning remembering any two words, let those be the ones. Eternal life. Because the truth of the gospel is that, in the words of Tim Keller, we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Join us next week as we continue our Broken Heroes series talking about Moses and his anger issues and how God used him in a powerful way to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.